0: In this episode of The Mushroom Show, we are joined by Adam Saner, who is the founder of something called GrowCycle. His company's mission is to simplify the process of growing mushrooms, whether they be on a hobbyist scale, just at home, or on a small commercial scale, which is obviously something that we love to do at FreshCap, is teach people how to grow mushrooms. But GrowCycle has really made that their main mission. Now, because Adam and I have a shared passion for mushroom growing, I feel like this conversation was super productive. We chat a little bit about Adam's personal journey with mushrooms, how he started Cycle, what to focus on if you wanna start your own mushroom growing business. We talk about things like what kind of substrates might be most effective depending on where you live, how the entire world is being influenced by mushrooms, and how just in general the popularity of mushrooms is growing every single day. If you're at all into growing mushrooms, I think you're gonna love this episode of The Mushroom Show. And if you wanna jump to any specific sections, make sure to check out the timestamps in the description below where you can jump ahead to any particular part of the conversation. So without further ado, here's Adam Saner from Grow Cycle. Adam Sainer, thank you so much for coming on The Mushroom Show.
1: Yes, nice to be here, Tony. Thanks for the invite.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited to have you here. We have chatted before and I absolutely love what you guys are doing at GrowCycle. I mean, you guys also have a YouTube channel as well and just really explaining and, and teaching people how to grow mushrooms and sharing everything that you know about the mushroom space. But what I'd love to know to kick us off is how you got started in mushrooms, how you got interested in what you're doing now and what the evolution was of, of grow Cycle to get to this point.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, originally for me, it started as a hobby. Um, I was studying ecology at university and got really interested in how we produce our food, you know, because that has a big impact on how we, you know, the impact we have on the, uh, the environment in general. And through that, I just had this interest in mushrooms come up. And and so I started to grow them a little bit, grew uh, first oyster mushrooms just underneath my bed and just got absolutely fascinated by the process of it and just delve right in deep from the start. And uh, when I left university, I just decided this is what I want to do. Uh, so I set up this smallest business, supplying the local area with mushrooms and did that for a couple of years, kind of growing in the traditional way, you know, like on a mix of kind of wood chip and sawdust with some bran, kind of traditional method for growing gourmet mushrooms. And a couple of years into that, I just got interested in trying to simplify the process a little bit. How can you grow in a way that doesn't involve uh, necessarily sterilizing the substrate, Um maybe finding already pasteurized substrate to grow from, that kind of thing. So we started growing on coffee grounds originally. And ever since then, I mean, the last 10 years, of journey for us has been really just, how how can we simplify the process of growing mushrooms? And what does that mean?
0: Trying to trying to make it easier for people to grow mushrooms at home because I think like one of the things when people get into growing mushrooms, they think, well, the first thing they think it's easy and then they look at it and go, oh, this is actually really complicated. And a lot of people just like put it in the, I'm never gonna try that box. But I think, yeah. you know, the kind of stuff that you're doing is saying, well, there is a somewhere in between. It it can be relatively easy to grow mushrooms and a lot more people could be doing it. And I think that that really comes through a lot in your courses and your content and I guess the ethos of what you're trying to do. So but but you're saying you originally just started growing mushrooms for yourself and kind of selling them at the farmer's market and that kind of thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that was my initial sort of way into doing this a bit more than a hobby was just supplying uh, to farmer's markets couple of uh, farm stores, some restaurants in the area, that kind of thing. Everywhere I went, there was just a really great response to that. Um, most people, restaurants were buying in the mushrooms from way further afield and the condition they got them in wasn't great. You know, they'd been coming from elsewhere in Europe. Uh, so maybe by the time they got to them, they were sort of a week after they were picked. And so they had these sort of poor condition mushrooms. So they were just really excited that they could get hold of these fresh mushrooms on the doorstep. So that, that went really well, that first stage, but it did sort of lead me to think about, um, where does this go from here? You know, how do you make the process a little bit, uh, simpler? Cause it's very labor intensive as anyone that's grown, you know, reasonable quantity of mushrooms knows it's a very labor intensive process. So that was sort of where that initial, uh, feeling of like, I want to try and simplify this a bit came from was out of having spent a lot of 70 or 80 hour weeks uh, doing all stages of the process and trying to scale that up and then just hitting a few bottlenecks, you know, where I thought uh, there's got to be an easier way, you know, to go about this.
0: Right. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. And what, what year would that have been when you when you started, you know, originally um, growing mushrooms?
1: When I started uh, as a hobby, it would have been about 2007, as a business 2009, and then 2011 was the point where I started to look at just different ways of doing it.
0: Oh, wow. That's actually, that's longer than I thought. That's uh, That's pretty amazing. But the the reason I ask is because it does seem like there has been a change, especially in the last five years, but it kind of continues to accelerate. I imagine, you know, when you're first bringing some of these mushrooms to the market and explaining how to grow mushrooms, imagine people were a lot less familiar with it and maybe a little bit surprised. I don't know like what the difference is really between, you know, the levels of mushroom awareness or mycophilia between North America and the UK, which is, which is where you are. But I know back when we started really growing mushrooms in 2014 or 2015, even then people were blown away when they see like a pink oyster or a king oyster. And they're just like, what are these things? Right. Definitely. Did you find a lot of that when you started as well?
1: Yeah. It, back back then. I mean, it sounds like a long time ago, but 10 years isn't that long, I suppose. But back then, um, you know, if you were to walk in a supermarket in the UK, you're basically going to get button mushrooms or portobello mushrooms and that's it. There was, there wasn't even really any oyster mushrooms, let alone shiitake or king oyster or anything else. So, yeah, back then you definitely got just such a reaction, you know, on the farmer's markets, people would just walk by the stall and, you know, almost do a second take and just, they were like, what is that? You know, what have you got on the stall there? Is it something from the sea or, you know, what is it? <laughs> um, right. So, so, yeah, that I mean, it was great to get that reaction from people. And then since then, you're right. I mean, such an evolution in that period of time. Mushrooms are just, they've really uh, entered the kind of public, public realm in a way that you couldn't necessarily foresee 10 years ago that they would do. And the last two or three years in particular, I'd say that's just increased. So the number of people interested in mushrooms, whether it's from a medicinal point of view or for growing them, or just interested in what they you know, what they mean in terms of our ecological relationship uh, with the planet and what, can, what they can be used for to help with that, that's just sort of off the charts, I, I think, the last two or three years or so. I mean, have you found that as well?
0: Oh yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's been, it's been crazy. I mean, I've been interested in mushrooms for as long as I can remember. And when I first started getting into it, like there wasn't a lot of good information out there to kind of learn how to grow. And, you know, you had to pick through different forums and kind of put things together. And it really felt like, you know, I was the only one kind of interested in this stuff, especially locally. Right. But, you know, that's really changed enormously over the last little bit. And it's almost analogous to mushrooms and how they grow themselves, right? They start in all these like little disparate locations and slowly the mycelium grows and eventually comes together. And then very quickly, you'll see a fruiting body, which is almost kind of analogous to what is happening in the world of mushrooms. But what I think about a lot and what I'd love to get your opinion on is like, why? Like, why are mushrooms suddenly becoming such a thing you know like we're seeing more and more articles written about mushrooms the narrative is changing around you know various mushroom topics more people are growing mushrooms um it it just seems to be like kind of evolved into its into this almost like a subculture that's becoming a, a main culture but i'm interested to hear your thoughts on like why you think that is happening
1: yeah, I think it's a multitude of different things all coming together at the same time, really. Um, maybe one aspect of it is people like yourself and us and a whole load of other people that have just been interested in mushrooms for a while and they've just carried on doing their thing and that sort of spread in itself, people that they've come into contact with. And then on top of that, just some other aspects in the last few years that have all come together, you know, like Stamets' talk on TED, uh, the ways that mushrooms can help save the world. That That just has been viewed by so many people now that, that had this uh, impact of just a lot more people interested in talking about mushrooms. Then the Netflix show, Fantastic Fungi, when they picked up that film and showed it, you know, on Netflix, that brought a whole load more people in interested in mushrooms. And then I think the pandemic itself, you know, on top of that, it, it all happened at the same time, I guess. But that brought a lot of people that were at home all of a sudden interested in picking up hobbies. They had spare time, uh, often were getting paid not to work. Uh, There were people that were homeschooling their kids, thinking of interesting projects. Uh, We saw this in sales of our mushroom kits. They just picked up as soon as lockdowns were announced in the UK here. Um, So I think all these things sort of came together at the same time, and they create a bit of a critical mass. And then you get people in the media writing about them, and it, it just sort of takes off and has its own energy after that, I guess.
0: Yeah, uh definitely accelerating. Yeah, a lot of people growing mushrooms at home. I know, you know on our YouTube channel for example, we got a huge spike in people watching those specific videos learning how to grow mushrooms at home, picking up new hobbies. Um you mentioned mushroom kits. Obviously, I can see that, you know, super accelerating because for most people, that's probably the best place to start, right? They can get an idea of the mushroom growing process without having to, you know, get any kind of special equipment or uh really having to to dive into it. But I always thought about, we've never done, like we have never sold mushroom kits, but I always think about that being a, a pretty difficult thing to do, right? You have this living organism that you can't really control and you try to box it up and give it to somebody and just let them fruit it. What, are there any specific challenges? I mean, you, you guys have been doing this for quite a while, selling mushroom grow kits, obviously quite successfully, but I'd love to learn from you, like what are the kind of challenges that you've experienced with, with you know, giving people a, a, a fruiting block and expecting it to just work?
1: Yeah, sure. it's a good question because,
0: you know, ultimately it's a living thing, isn't it? You know, that you're giving to people right. and, and
1: usually the customer on the other end of that doesn't necessarily think of it in that way. They think oh, I've bought this product and I want it to work, you know, like I expect it to. And um, the good right. thing is, is that we stick at the moment, we stick to just oyster mushroom kits and oyster mushrooms are just really tolerant. They'll grow in a wide range of environments, including mm-hmm. in people's kitchens where you've got fluctuating humidity, temperature and things like that. And they'll still grow pretty well without too much care and attention, which other mushrooms may be a bit more challenging to do with. Um, so that's one element that helps, but we also, one thing we've found over the years is you just get the same sorts of questions from people. So in the early days, we'd be just answering those by email one by one as they came in. And then we began to see the patterns, you know, there's maybe 10 to 15 kind of core questions that you get over and over again from people. And so we just, created an FAQs page on our site and we sort of direct people there and that answers most of the sort of queries you get. Alongside that we also recorded a set of uh, instructional videos for people so you know when they receive their kit they've got their instructions inside and on there it mentions this resource that they can go to a website and learn a bit about how to get the best out of their kit. So things like that have helped a lot to make it a bit more easy at our end, I guess, just to make this product, that's a living organism that does respond to its environment without having too many of those sort of uh, situations where people's kits don't grow or they're asking a lot of questions and you know we just don't have the ability to keep up with that. So we just created a set of resources, I suppose, to help that.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And do you find that a lot of people will want to dive further down the rabbit hole? You know, I know that's where a lot of people start, where they get a mushroom grow kit. And it's kind of a mind-blowing experience, right? Because when the mushrooms grow, you know, they can be almost doubling in size every day. And I think it's just really eye-opening for people saying, wow, this is really cool and wanting to go further down the rabbit hole. Are you seeing that a lot in in your business?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's, There's a certain proportion of people that maybe just get given a kit as a gift to begin with. Maybe they hadn't even thought about growing mushrooms. They get this gift they really enjoy the experience of it. And like you said, you know, watching them grow for the first time is just a really spellbinding experience. A lot of people get hooked to that point and then they want to know like, how does this, this bag of mycelium and substrate, how was that made? And then they go down this rabbit hole of learning, you know, how do you make something like that and the different ways you go about it and all the nuances, you know, which are obviously out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, we do see that. We see people that start with a kit and then they, want to read and watch more videos. And then some of those people then think, okay, I want to do this. You know, I want to set something up at home, whether it's just for personal use or maybe as a hobby or sideline business or whatever. We we definitely see that there's a certain percentage of people that kind of follow that, that trajectory.
0: Yeah. And I think too, a lot of people will, you know, get the mushroom kits, they'll grow the mushrooms. And a lot of them will think, Hey, this is a good idea. Maybe I should do this as a business or set up a small scale mushroom farm. I know that's a lot of, you know, what you do at Grow cycle is you teach people how to set up kind of small scale urban mushroom farms, kind of low tech mushroom farming is another way to put it. I want to hear from you, like, what do you think the feasibility is for a lot of people and, and what things should people be considering if they are considering doing kind of like a low tech mushroom farm? Because on the outset, um, it seems like instantly a really good idea, right? Like mushrooms grow, you can sell them, you look at the price per pound, everything like that. Um, but at the same time, it is a lot of work. It's difficult. It is farming. So do you find a lot of people are super enthusiastic about starting their own farm? And and, and what do you see as the important things to know if people are thinking about doing that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of the most important things is from the beginning is to try and work out, You know, do you want to do this as as a hobby, as an interest, or or do you want to do it as a... As a business of some sort, um, because that sort of gives you some some questions you should be asking yourself right at the start, I guess. Like if it's a hobby and you're just following your interest or your passion, you don't need to worry too much. You can just dive in and and go about it however you want and try and make it work. You know, whatever time you've got or or setup or money you've got. Uh, but if you want to do it as a business, then it becomes a bit more of a question of like, there's a load of choices. Like, what method do you want to use? What equipment? What scale? where you're going to sell the mushrooms to that kind of thing, which you naturally need to spend a bit more time thinking about. And I guess there's a third way where you start as a hobby and then it ends up as a business sort of organically, which happens as well for people in terms of what should you think about if you want to do it as a business? Um, it's such a difficult question. It's one that we get almost every single day from people who are thinking this. And I know it's a frustrating answer, but it really does just depend, you know, it depends on a whole load of factors like. Where you live, um, what your living costs are, what kind of a wage you need to receive to kind of meet your basic needs. It depends on what price you can sell the mushrooms for. Um, if you have an existing space you can use or not, if not, then how much does it cost to have a suitable space? So there's so many factors that it's really hard to give like a, you know, a cookie cutter sort of template of this Mm -hmm. is how to do it. Having said that overall, if you live in a country where wages are high, then you're probably going to look at either doing mushroom production on a fair size scale. So, um, you know, just say something in the region of like a hundred kilos or 220 pounds, uh, per week production, something like that is at the scale where you might start to see enough revenue to make an income from it. Um, or you look towards other sort of products like mushroom kits, courses, workshops uh subscription schemes that kind of thing where you have value-added products same with like food based products like mushroom jerky or uh, Mm -hmm. medicinal mushrooms that kind of thing
0: yeah there's so that's the interesting thing about mushrooms is there's so many different things that you can do you know I know I do know people that have mushroom farms and a a chunk of their revenue comes from people coming to learn and doing workshops and doing courses or even internships or whatever because you know people really are interested in this stuff um, which is really, really cool. And the other thing I, I tell people, uh, cause we get that asked that question as well is just, you don't know until you start, right? So like the best way to do it is just to start growing mushrooms, start growing mushrooms on a hobby scale. Yeah. And then not only do you kind of learn the process, you learn, um, you know, how into it you are, how you could potentially scale because you're right. There's so many factors. It gets uh, pretty ridiculous. There's, there's not a, a one size fits all solution to any of this, right?
1: Yeah. Exactly. And the thing that I guess becomes more important when you're doing it as a business and less important as a hobby is your kind of cost of production, I guess. So when you're doing it as a hobby, that's less critical. Your focus there is just on like having a nice uh, end result that you've got mushrooms that you can eat and share with your friends and family and to just, you know, really enjoy that process. But when you move to doing it as a business, then you need to be much more focused on sort of reducing your cost of production. Um, Making things more efficient—that kind of thing—which is just a different uh, set of interests and skills and things to focus on, I suppose.
0: And so, what are some of these low-tech methods that um, you talk about in your in your courses and in in the ebook that you have? Um, you know, we see in the video. There's a lot of straw log techniques, so hanging straw logs in these uh, in these little kind of huts. Um, so, what are some of your favorite low-tech farming techniques that you suggest people? investigate if they're looking at something like this.
1: Yeah. So, um, our approach to growing has been to focus on what can you grow a reasonable amount of relatively cheaply without too much upfront investment and, uh, labor input. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the traditional method of growing mushrooms that a lot of growers follow, which I think is, is a good method as well. Certainly if you want to grow lots of different varieties, usually involves uh, smaller bags, like 10 pound bags of either master's mix or some form of sort of sawdust based substrate, which are loading into each bag. And then you're putting it into some kind of pressure cooker or autoclave or steam sterilizer. Uh, there's some cycle there to sterilize them. And then you inoculate each bag individually, seal it and follow the process from there. And so the way we approach it is to say, well, that initial phase, which is quite labor intensive and involves a fair amount of equipment. How can you do that phase in a a simplified manner so that if you're just beginning this process or if you want to just produce oysters, for example, you can do it at a cheaper cost and a a cheaper setup cost and make it a bit more efficient. Um, And so we like to focus on the lime bath bath technique for pasteurization. Mm. And that is basically just creating a water with a high pH level with the addition of hydrated lime that you then soak your substrate in, and we tend to use chopped straw because near where we are in the rural area of UK, of the UK, straw is quite plentiful and it's a great substrate for oyster mushrooms. So we're using straw, but you can use the same technique also with sawdust or sawdust pellets. Um, the substrate can be altered quite a bit, but the basic concept is that you're pasteurizing with this high pH water bath, the high pH level knocks out most competing organisms. Then you add your spawn the next day and follow the process on from there, incubating and, and fruiting. And so it's a, it's a very simple method to pasteurize your substrate with It's pretty quick, it's very cheap to set up and you can process a fair amount of substrate in that way. So that's, that's kind of the gist of what we think of when we think of low-tech mushroom growing, but then there's some ele- other elements in terms of maybe not trying to control your fruiting room temperature, maybe just selecting strains that will grow in that climate at that time of the year. So like cold weather strains for winter, warm weather strains for summer, um, and a few other aspects in terms of your selection of substrate that might be seen as low-tech mushroom growing.
0: And is is that kind of one of the major differences that you've seen between say, you know, European small-scale farmers and North American or Canadian or or American small-scale farmers is the difference between sterilizing substrates and with, uh, you know, autoclaves and pressure cookers versus sterilizing substrates with lime?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question because it's something we've, we're literally in the middle of at the moment planning a new farm that we're going to build later on this year. So we're sort of revisiting the question of, you know, if you have a blank slate and we're going to be scaling our farm up quite a bit, how would you go about it? And so we're looking at all the different ways that people are growing, talking to experts in different areas and just sort of trying to assess, well, how do we want to approach this? And one of the things that's come out from that is really noticing the difference between How, if we just focus in on oyster mushrooms, how they're grown in Europe versus in America. And there is quite a distinct difference. So in Europe, people are um, growing oyster mushrooms predominantly following the same method that button mushrooms are produced with. So they're pasteurizing straw in bulk, um, either via fermentation by letting the material heat up to a temperature where it pasteurizes itself, or in some cases, they're introducing steam to pasteurize. But they're, they're sort of pasteurizing bulk material. They're bulk spawning it into larger uh, masses, you know, larger bags of substrate. Whereas in the States, people are tending to grow in this method of, of smaller bags and uh, like a sawdust-based substrate, whether it's pellets or uh, fresh sawdust mixed with some kind of supplement, either soybean holes or bran or whatever else it is. Um, But then they're sort of steam sterilizing it, like uh, either in an autoclave or pressure cooker, or maybe something like uh, you know a barrel. Um, But there's a longer cycle on the on the uh, super pasteurization process. So you know it might be like a two three day process to pasteurize your substrate and inoculate. And both of those methods work well. I'm not saying one is better than the other. It's just interesting to note kind of the difference there of how they're done.
0: Yeah, I've seen some. Sorry, go ahead.
1: I, I was just going to say at the moment, we're, we're sort of thinking through, like, how do we approach this? We're, we're about to sort of scale up by a factor of four or five of what we have been producing, oh, wow. and so it's a really interesting question. Is the focus here on reducing the cost of production um, or, or increasing the yield or both ideally, Great. but the more important question for us at the moment is reducing the cost of production.
0: Yeah, I, I guess that's definitely one of the keys. And I've seen some videos. I've never been to any of these farms, but I've seen some videos and I think in the Netherlands where it's much like you described at first, you're like, what is this like a button mushroom farm or something? Because there's big, you know, tractors that are moving around huge piles of straw that are just kind of self composting. And then they'll put them in bags that are almost the size of a large bale of straw. Yeah. And it's it's a completely different technique. But I mean, obviously, it seems to work really well. Um and maybe even be, you know, able to be more mechanized and, and less individually labor intensive because you're not handling all of these little bags, and yeah, yeah. maybe harvesting is easier. So, but well, the
1: figures, just to give you some context, like the figures I've seen from uh, people who are producing like this, are like the cost of production using that European method is somewhere in the region of two to three hundred euros per ton of substrate, whereas the alternative method where you're bagging individually with sawdust substrate somewhere in the region of seven to 800 euros for a ton of substrate. So it's less than half the cost per ton of substrate produced. Wow! Which that, when I learned that, that that instantly just sort of sparked an interest and I just thought, wow, that's that's something to really look into a bit further.
0: Yeah, no, it's amazing to think. And I guess too though, the smaller bag method seems almost like more accessible because people are like, okay, I can just get a bunch of small pressure cookers and just, you know, put it all together and I don't need a yeah. tractor and a big pile and all this kind of stuff. So, uh... Exactly. That's it. Yeah. And the new farm that we're building is not
1: anywhere near the scale of those farms you're talking about, you know, where they've got these huge tractors. They've got a massive machine for each stage of the process, haven't they? And they're producing, you know, tons of mushrooms per day. So it's a it's a whole other scale that we're not looking at. So we're faced with a problem kind of that you're talking about. Like, how do you take this method and do it without all the tractors and the massive machinery. And so that's sort of, you know, right now we're going through that process of trying to work out how can you take the essence of that method and the efficiency of it, but without the need for all those bits of machinery and equipment. And um, I think it's possible and it's, it's just a process of working through each part of the production cycle.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's the fun thing about growing mushrooms, right? You're always learning, things are always changing, techniques are always changing, and uh, there's always areas to improve and be more efficient. But yeah, I'm interested to learn a little bit more about this new farm that you're building. It sounds like it's a a bit of a a change or at least a big step up from what you've done historically. So tell us a little bit more about this farm.
1: Yeah, I think it's true. I mean, historically, we've been growing mushrooms, but not on a, a large scale. We've been growing small scale for local supply and then focusing on mushroom kits and education. Um, but we really wanted with a, with a new farm to kind of focus in on commercial mushroom production because, um, we haven't done that on a big scale before. And it's also something that I know a lot of other people are interested in. So I wanted to delve into that and see like, how do we make this possible? And then we can, um, you know, share that learning that we have with other people at the same time. So, um, the farm itself is not going to be massive. It's in square foot it's going to be around about five to seven thousand square feet uh, across two floors so it 's not a humongous building, but it's maybe three to four times the size of what we currently have and um, I think at the moment we're choosing between two methods: one is the method we have been using which is the the lime bath technique so we'll be pasteurizing the straw in in the uh, Ibcs of iph uh, water bath, and the other method is is this Self-fermentation of of the substrate. So, you take your chopped straw, but it could be sawdust. You wet it. You let it begin to ferment for a few days on its own, and then you place it in some kind of insulated uh, container or box, whereby its temperature begins to rise. And it you can, through the control of the airflow into that box, uh, or it could be a tunnel if it's a larger space, you can control the temperature in that space up to. You know the 60 degree range that you want for pasteurization you hold it there for a period of time and then you drop it back down and at the end of that process you have a substrate that's pasteurized but it's also begun to break down break down a little bit so you've got a whole bunch of microbial uh interactions happening in that first week or so where it ferments that begins to break down the substrate and then you introduce your spawn and it's feeding on food that's already partially broken down so um you tend to get pretty good yields with this method but you also it also means you can add a lot of supplement in that gets fermented out at the start so you ferment a lot of the sugars that might lead to problems with contamination before you pasteurize and so what you're left with is a substrate that um, has a lot of nitrogen and other minerals in it but it doesn't have so many sugars which can lead to contamination so it's it's possible to to produce substrate in this way on mass fairly cheaply without a large risk of contamination. So we're sort of weighing up these two methods and whether we do both alongside each other to compare, that's something we're also thinking about.
0: Yeah, that's interesting to dig in there a little bit because that's something that people always are wondering about. It's like, well, mushrooms grow in nature, which is not sterilized or decontaminated, or we don't use, you know, trees don't dip themselves in lime bath before oyster mushrooms sprout through them. So how do you explain that to people? We're saying like, why is it so complicated? Why do we have to worry so much about sterilization and and, and being clean when we're growing mushrooms when it doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be the case in nature?
1: So it's such a good question. And it's, it's definitely a question a lot of people when they first come into mushroom growing, they, they have this thought like, what's all the hassle about sterilizing the substrate? This doesn't happen in nature. But I guess the other difference in nature is that for a start, you don't see mushrooms everywhere in nature. They're relatively rare. It's not like every bit of dead wood has mushrooms on it. And secondly, I guess the number of spores that are dropped by wild mushrooms is, is a humongous amount. And of those billions of spores that are dropped, only very few land in a an environment that they actually end up being able to establish uh, and grow a, a mycelial network big enough to support. You know, the fruiting of mushrooms. So, I guess when you're trying to control that process and make it reliable, the best way to do that and to have it reliable each and every time is to try and control as many of the conditions and parameters as you can that favor the growth of the mushroom over some other competing organism. So, I, I tend to think of it like this in terms of well, sure, mushrooms do grow in the wild, but it's a pretty rare phenomenon that a spore lands somewhere and develops into a mushroom. Whereas if you wanna grow mushrooms reliably, you wanna make sure that happens every single time, you're gonna to need to change the way that you produce them.
0: Yeah, Does that make sense? it's a good analogy for life, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Giving people yeah. things the, the, the environment they need to thrive.
1: <laughs> exactly,
0: yeah. So, um, so you're based in the UK, we're in Canada, but you've also set up mushroom farms or low-tech mushroom farms in other parts of the world. Is that correct? Well, we we don't
1: set them up ourselves. We're basically just giving people the knowledge they need to do it for themselves. So um, early on in the process, we met with a few different people who said, oh yeah, you need to take this idea and you know basically turn it into some kind of a franchise. And and we said, oh, that's not really our interest. Our interest is just having the knowledge and the education and teaching it to people and then they can do with it as, as they please. So um, a lot of people have we've taught who have gone on to build up their own projects, whether it's either being a consultancy role or people have taken our courses or even just, you know, watch videos or whatever, but we haven't set up, uh, projects of our own outside of the UK, we've set up a few inside the UK, usually in partnership with other people, but, um, I, I'm generally of the opinion, I think it's good for people to run their own ship and not to be sort of, um, trying to do it from too far of a distance. yeah that's kind of how we've approached it
0: yeah i think that makes sense and it goes back to your point that you know every situation is a little bit different so you give people the tools to understand how to grow mushrooms but it you know it can really depend on a on a million different things so yeah yeah, exactly i think that makes a lot of sense
1: we've done a few interesting projects in the uk though, like with music we did one at the VA museum which is a big uh, design and art museum in the uk that was a lot of fun that was in the middle of london and they were It was an exhibition all about um, the future of food and urban agriculture. And they basically built a a fruiting room inside of the exhibition. So around about a quarter of a million people sort of passed through the exhibition and saw these mushrooms grow in there. And a lot of people just thought it was fake. You know, they walked (laughs) through and they're like, oh, that's just hanging there and there's not a living thing. And, And then they'd find out it was actually alive and it was fruiting and they were taking the mushrooms to cook in the restaurant. And we're pretty blown away by that. So that was, that was a really fun project to do. And likewise, there's another one in a prison that we, that we were part of as well, which was fun.
0: Did you say in a prison? In a prison? Yes. Yeah.
1: So there's a oh, wow. lot of inmates that, that were, um, tasked with running the mushroom farm in the prison, um, which was a lot of fun just to go into a prison at all. I mean, just to walk around a prison and, you know, have, have a little badge that allows you through all the different doors and stuff, <laughs> yeah. it was, um, eye-opening experience but a lovely a lovely idea actually because a lot of time if you're if you are in prison is spent sitting around with not so much to do and the guys that were involved in this project they they were so enthusiastic about their role within it um it was just lovely to see
0: yeah no I can totally see that I mean again we, we talked a lot about how much people got interested in growing mushrooms during the lockdown and through the pandemic so I guess it makes a lot of sense to to extend that project to people who are locked down for different reasons but that's <laughs> yeah that's such a cool idea um why why not right
1: yeah uh, yeah and like likewise in cities as well you know um i'm sure you have the same in canada and i've seen it in the states as well There's just there's a lot of empty spaces or or run down uh buildings that maybe don't have a use you know i think it's a really is ripe for turning into productive spaces. And this is one of the ways that you, you can do that. So, you know, it can, can be applied, I think in lots of different settings, not, not just in rural areas.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, and, so you focus a lot on oyster mushrooms. Uh, are there any other types of mushrooms that you enjoy growing or that, that you want to start growing and kind of bring to the process? Or do you focus on oyster mushrooms just because that's the best place to start? They're the most productive and hey, they're great. Like there's nothing wrong with oyster mushrooms, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah, a bit of both, I guess. Yeah, I do love growing other varieties as well. I love lion's mane, I love king oyster, I love shiitake. I love eating all of those and I love growing them all. Um, one thing we found with the production method that we use is that it's very well suited to oysters. It's not necessarily so well suited to other varieties. So, um, you can grow pioppino using the same method. Uh, you can grow kingstroferi using the same method, and you can grow a host of different oyster strains. Um, in, but other varieties are a little bit more picky. So, um, you know, we've what we decided for the time being, at least, is to really focus in on oyster mushrooms and really kind of master the process, make the production process as efficient and cheap as possible to produce. Um, and maybe later on, we'll branch back out into other varieties again. But For now, I'm pretty happy just focusing in on oysters because, like you said, they're an amazing mushroom in their own right um, in terms of their productiveness, the simplicity for growing, certainly for newcomers. Um, And they are still, you know, of interest to people. So chefs are really interested in oysters. Shops are interested in them. So, yeah, I don't see any reason to not just focus in on them for now.
0: Yeah. Another thing that I find amazing about oyster mushrooms is their ability to grow on a huge variety of substrates, right? You talked about straw, but they will also grow on hardwood. They'll grow in banana leaves. I've seen them grow literally on cigarette butts and like all sorts of crazy things. How important do you think it is to like, is straw which is what you use is that something that is really easily and readily available uh, in the UK and how important do you think it is to be using like local materials and easily sourced materials for growing mushrooms
1: yeah it's it's really important it's a it's a great point tony because it's it's another reason why i think it's great for a lot of people when they're coming into growing to think about oysters because wherever you are in the world you'll find some kind of material that you can grow them on and here in the uk yes straw is is plentiful certainly if you're in an urban area sorry in a sub in a rural area straw is one of the most plentiful materials uh in the uk but you know we have people in our course who are maybe on an island uh so for example there's a guy in fiji who's been in touch uh, recently he's joined our course and he's looking around and thinking like what material am i going to grow on here so he gives me a list of different materials that are available so they have you know easy access to coir substrate um, they have easy access to banana leaves and a whole host of other uh, what are essentially kind of cash crop uh, agricultural byproducts in in their country whether it's sugarcane bagasse or whatever else it is in in asia you have a lot of rice rice husks or rice straw There's always a material somewhere, wherever you are in the world, that you can grow oysters on, which is something I really love about their ability to just, you know, make use of whatever waste resource there is. Whereas other varieties are a little bit more particular, and they're not necessarily so easily transferable um, if you don't have the right substrate.
0: What do you feel? I I feel like too, a lot of people want to grow mushrooms on coffee grounds for some reason, because it's just such a cool idea to take like a waste product, which is coffee grounds, is going in the garbage, and growing mushrooms on them. But in my experience, it's not as awesome as a substrate, not as feasible as everybody would like it to be. So what are your opinions on growing coffee, growing mushrooms, sorry, on, on coffee grounds?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good uh, thing to think about for a moment because yeah, for a start, there's a lot of coffee waste there, especially if you're in an urban area, you can easily source a lot of coffee grounds. Um, it's something we we, maybe going back five years ago, we built a farm in the middle of the nearest city to where we are here with the intention really just to focus in on this coffee waste. And, um, what we found is in, so in the early days we grew on a substrate, that was a hundred percent coffee grounds. So we were just taking the coffee, adding spawn and, and off we go. And that works all right in small, small bags. So, you know, the substrate, maybe a kilo or so of substrate that can work fine. The moment you get into sort of larger masses of substrate, you tend to get problems with compaction because. Uh, the particle size of the coffee grounds is very small, and so when you have a larger mass of substrate, it sort of compacts down in the bag, and then you get poor air exchange, and you don't get good mycelial growth. You tend to get problems with mold or various other forms of contamination. So, what we learned through that process is that it is really beneficial to add some other substrate with the coffee to kind of open up the the texture of the substrate a little bit. So whether that's chopped straw or uh, sawdust, or it could be even coffee chaff, which is sort of the, uh, outside of the bean of, of coffees when it gets roasted, it comes off, um, or various other things. Like in the early days we even used shredded cardboard, whatever you've got that you can use to mix up that density of substrate is a really beneficial additive. And we went so far. So in, when we ran the farm up there, we had maybe, uh, 60% coffee, 40% straw or sawdust or whatever else. Over time, we just began to reduce the amount of coffee in the mix and we had much better results with Mm -hmm. that. So overall, I'd say coffee grounds are are a great additive to a substrate, but as a substrate in their own right, they're not ideal. Right. They they work really well when you mix them in with something else. Right. Yeah. What is good about them is they don't have too many sugars in. So, you know, they're nitrogen rich, but you don't tend to get huge amounts of uh, problems with contamination if you get your substrate right.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that's... That makes a lot of sense. But I think like the idea, it's like a pretty romantic idea of just like, yeah, we can use all this waste product and we don't have to throw it away. And instead, we can grow mushrooms on it, which, you know, for the most part is true. Like there's all these narratives about mushrooms being able to, you know, eat plastic and mushrooms being able to clean up oil spills and mushrooms being able to use all this waste product and and, and make a better use of, of waste product. But how much of that do you think is you know, realistic in terms of what mushrooms can actually achieve ecologically and environmentally and how much of that is just like, we're not quite there yet.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of it is, we're not quite there yet, Right. but has a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, um, you know, these things have a long timeline to them, I suppose, as as, uh, as we begin to learn more about them and trial and test things. One thing I've noted over time from talking to other people that have been growing mushrooms for maybe 30 or 40 years, even is there's just a, there's a massive lack of consensus of what's the best way to do anything, even yeah. with quite well-established practices. So, uh, even more so with like a new, uh, load of ideas of how you can utilize mushrooms. It's just going to take us some time, I think, to really work it out, but the fundamentals are there in the sense, we know that that mushrooms are these great recyclers of nutrients, and, you know, some of them are just not so fussy. They'll grow on a whole range of different materials. So, you know, I can definitely see a scenario, maybe 40, 50 years into the future where we can utilize mushrooms to clean up some of the disastrous impact that we're having at the moment on our eco- ecological uh, surroundings. I can definitely see that as a, as a possibility. But I think it's going to take a lot of, a lot of hard work to get there.
0: I agree. Yeah, I know it's super promising, but a lot of it seems to be, you know, in very specific areas or very small scale. It's like, yeah, mushrooms can grow on cigarette butts, for example. But like, it's not like we can just clean up all the cigarette butts and grow mushrooms and get rid of them. Or, you know, mushrooms can—they can literally grow on nothing but motor oil. I've seen it before. Oyster mushroom mycelium consuming nothing but motor oil. But it's not like we can just drop a bunch in a big oil spill and and and, and clean that up. So.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You almost need like the collaboration of people with different expertise. So you've got your mushroom growers that can grow the mycelium and understand that process, but maybe you need to integrate with engineers who can think about a way, you know, that you can utilize this in the middle of the ocean where there's an oil spill, for example, where, you know, you need to think around how you can take that oil that's in water and put it in some kind of format that the mycelium can, can access and and feed off of.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is the exciting thing about mushrooms, though, is there's so many different ways you can go. I mean, you've got interest in obviously growing mushrooms, doing mushroom farming. But, you know, today people are doing mushroom as a meat replacement or mushroom mycelium as a meat replacement or mushroom materials, obviously functional mushrooms like we're doing at Fresh Cap. There's so many different things. And I honestly think, too, there's a theme of people who are interested in mushrooms are also kind of entrepreneurial or interested in entrepreneur entrepreneurial endeavors just because of that area where it is kind of a new science. It's a citizen science with so many different opportunities with growing interest. And it's just kind of the perfect thing to attract people who want to build things and want to create things, obviously like you're doing with, with growth cycle. Um, but from that angle, I just wanted to ask you, what are some of the most, you know, as a mushroom entrepreneur yourself, what are some of the most challenging things you've experienced or had to deal with in the last say 10 years? And what are some of the most rewarding aspects of it? Um, I'd love to get your view on, on your journey in mushroom entrepreneurship and how that's been.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, in the early days, the most challenging thing was just knowing what to do. Right. So, you know, information was more scarce back then. Uh, I, I was YouTube started in 2009, I think, But you know, before that there was no YouTube. So you were learning from textbooks right. mainly, or forums, you know, on the internet. And there's, I mean, the information can be great in those forms, but it can also be conflicting and confusing and things like that. So certainly the early days, the biggest challenge was just um, the learning process, really knowing what to do, what's true, what's uh, hearsay, um, understanding it firsthand, you know, what what's actually uh, the truth in something. So I guess just a lot of trial and error, and that takes a lot of time, costs a fair bit of money and that kind of thing. So that was probably the biggest challenge of all, uh, from the beginning, which I think is less of a challenge now for people that might be beginning to start mm-hmm. the challenge now is how do you sort through the massive information right. to work out, you know, what's the best situation for you, you know, right. what you want to do, which is also a challenge. Of a different <laughs> sort. Some of the most rewarding aspects per, per, personally, I just find it really rewarding to, to share knowledge with people. I really enjoy that process of teaching, um, uh, and of continual learning as well. I really love that aspect of my work these days, which is to make sure that I'm I'm always learning and kind of pushing the boundaries on what I know so that I can then share that with other people. Um, that's something which I personally just really, really enjoy. And likewise, even just you know seeing people with their first uh, mushrooms they've ever grown in a mushroom kit. I always really enjoy getting photos from people who have just had their kit for Christmas, for example. At the moment, it's happening a lot all through January, we sold thousands of mushroom kits in december and now we're seeing all those people growing their mushrooms throughout january sending you pictures just sharing the joy that they're having growing them and that's very rewarding as well
0: yeah yeah it's just so cool uh to see that i mean same with like we did a video on how to grow mushrooms in a five gallon bucket which somehow went like you know semi kind of viral on youtube but then i start seeing in all these other corners of the internet just random people that are growing mushrooms using that method and you know how exciting it is for them, and how cool it is to see. Wow, it's actually easy to grow like a you know a load of mushrooms in a bucket. I didn't know I could do this, and it really opens up so many so many doors. And yeah. you know that's what you guys are doing at GrowCycle. And I'd say you know you built something really really cool. You know I've watched it evolve over the last number of years, and I I love what you guys have done there. Um, so I, I what can people like people who've never seen GrowCycle before? When you go to your website, it's like. You can buy a mushroom kit or you can, or you can uh, download the book. So there's two different places to start. Yeah. Um, what do you want people to know about grow cycle and how they can start learning about growing mushrooms?
1: I think it just depends on what your aims and interests are, I suppose. So I'd say for most people, like getting a mushroom kit is probably a good starting point just to grow some mushrooms, super simple way, really quick. You know, a week to two weeks later, after you've placed your order, you're going to have mushrooms there right in front of you that you've grown. think that's a great starting point. Um, and then if you find yourself taken by the interest, then I guess the next step is either, you know, research, whether it's on YouTube, watching, there's some great mushroom YouTube channels out there. Um, you're, you know, your channel being obviously one of the main ones, but there's a whole load of people that have sprung up in the last few years, which have got great content, Mm -hmm. loads that people can learn from that. Um, and then, you know, if they want to dive in deeper, then, Either find someone within your country or local area that you can go and take a course with, or, you know, look for online training, like the sort of thing that we offer. Ideally, you just want to try and surround yourself with people who have the same interests so that you can learn from what they've, you know, the learning curve is fairly steep. I would say if you're a complete novice, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of different ways you can produce mushrooms that you need to sort through and work out, well, how do I want to do it? So I think, yeah, just being connected to other people who have already been through that process and can kind of give you their take on what they think is really valuable and is really worthwhile. So, you know, trying to connect with other people that are already growing is is a, probably the best advice I could give.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Joining either local group or online groups, there's lots of them to kind of share the learnings and kind of mastermind these things in a way yeah so your website is growcycle.com. you also have a youtube channel under the name Growcycle. cycle you can just look it up but where else can people find you if they want to learn more about what you're doing
1: yeah if they want to learn more i mean probably just go into our homepage, growcycle.com. when you get there you've got an option either to to buy a kit if you're in the uk or to download our ebook um, which will also deliver you a, a workshop, like a one-hour video workshop, um, which you'll basically get to understand a bit more about how we produce mushrooms and um, you know why we do it like that and the different some of the different options that you have. So I'd say that's probably a pretty good starting point, really.
0: Awesome. Well, I highly encourage anybody watching or listening to go check it out. Again, Adam Saner from Grow Cycle. I want to thank you so much for being on The Mushroom Show. It's been awesome chatting with you and thanks so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Tony. It's been great, great to chat. It's always good to talk with other mushroom enthusiasts, and um, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot.
0: Excellent.